Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, how are you doing today? I am talking again to a colleague of mine I think is, gosh, expert in so many different arenas that I never quite know where to start. But Dr. Jennifer Schneider is, uh, well, let me tell you all about her again. Dr. Jennifer Schneider, MD, PhD, is a nationally recognized expert in addictive sexual disorders and in the management of chronic pain with opioids. For the past 25 years, Dr. Schneider has researched partners of sex addicts. She was associate editor of the journal on sexual addiction and compulsivity. She's written, oh my gosh, I want to say 13 books, 12 books, more books than I've written, which is a lot. Her books on partners of sex addicts, like Back from Betrayal, Recovering from His Affairs, and Sex, Lies, and Forgiveness, Couples Speak on Healing from Sex Addiction, are classics in the field. She and I wrote two books together about the internet and cybersex, Closer Together, Further Apart, The Effect of Internet and Technology on Parenting, Work, and Relationships, and Always Turned On, Sex Addiction in the Digital Age. Welcome, my co-author friend. Thank you. Thank you. So let me tell you folks why Dr. Schneider is joining us a second time. She really has multiple expertise, as I said. One of them, and this is an area we've covered before, is betrayal and partner betrayal and those issues. And that really leans into the sex and love part of our podcast. But on this particular show, I want to lean into the addiction part because Dr. Schneider has an extraordinary expertise and she teaches pain management medications, dealing with opioids, addiction, and the whole topic that we're struggling with in our culture. What has happened related to people taking pain pills where they then become addicted? What is addiction? Can we still use opioids? All of those questions are things that I think Every one of us can learn something about every time we turn to the medicine cabinet. We can think twice having heard this podcast. So Dr. Schneider, welcome. Thanks for talking about this. You're welcome. You know, one of the first things that we talked about, and you sent me some great articles about this, and I have to say, even though I think I'm a smarty pants and I know a lot of things, I'm glad you sent the articles because I was able to really refine and learn a lot more. You know, sometimes as therapists, I think, we think we know everything, or at least we think we know things because we're therapists. But the bottom line is most of us don't know a lot more about particular subjects unless we have a real interest than anybody else does when they hear it on TV. 
So I didn't have a deep and enduring knowledge about this issue. And one of the things I've always confused is what is the difference between someone who is truly addicted or becomes addicted or or has an addiction to pain meds versus the whole concept of becoming dependent on a medication you need to take? And let me give you a quick example. And you can tell me this will really throw you, Dr. Schneider. Maybe. So I take an antidepressant. It is not addictive in the sense that it brings me pleasure, it doesn't relax me, it doesn't make me feel fun, I don't get excited when I take it, I don't even know when I've taken it. Of course, if I didn't take it a few days, I'd probably notice. But I know that I am physically dependent on the antidepressant I take because if I stop taking it, within a few days, I probably would have some pretty profound emotional and physical responses. Is that That's dependence, but I, you couldn't really say I'm addicted to my depression medication, Is that isn't that right? Well, the difference is what you mean by dependent, okay? Your question actually, um, I would have phrased is, does someone become physically dependent on both of these things? And the answer is yes, because the way we define physical dependence is that when you take this drug, whether it's a drug that you can become addicted to, like an opioid, or a drug that people don't become addicted to in terms of bad behavior and, and compulsiveness. Like Prozac. Like Prozac. Uh, so, so what they both have in common is that they produce changes in your body, uh, physical changes in response to using that drug. For example, if you are, are taking morphine or oxycodone for your chronic pain, you are very likely to initially experience some nausea and sedation. Sleepiness, yeah, sleepiness, right? Yeah, uh, but if you take it for a day or two, that goes away. And that's why you want to start with a low dose. That's why you start with a low dose of Prozac or some other antidepressant. Because of those side effects, they go away because your body adapts to them. But one of the results of that adaptation is if you stop suddenly, you're going to have some side effects. And that's, that's the concept of physical dependence. So Dr. Schneider, if I were to stop taking oxycodone after taking it regularly for three months, I would go into withdrawal. I think in addiction, we use that word. Do you use it in dependence as well? And let me frame that for you. If I stop taking, let's say, Prozac or Paxil or one of those antidepressants, I would also have profound problems physically and emotionally coming off of that drug. Is withdrawal and the concept with withdrawal the same, whether you're dealing with an addictive medication or a non-addictive medication? So there are drugs that will produce physical dependence, and depending on what you are treating, they will also produce, they will restore you to having those symptoms. So for example, if you've been taking Zoloft or Prozac and you stop suddenly, you're going to have symptoms related, withdrawal symptoms related to your physical dependence. But because you were taking the drug for depression, you are not surprisingly likely to start feeling depressed again. In the same way, if you have been taking an opioid for chronic pain and you stop taking it after you've been taking it for a few weeks, two, two things are going to happen to you. You are going to experience withdrawal symptoms resulting from your physical dependence. You're also going to begin experiencing pain. You're not going to start experiencing depression in the same way as you, Rob, if you stop the Prozac, aren't going to suddenly start experiencing pain. It depends on what drug and why you were taking it. So we're talking about two different concepts without even talking about addiction. We're talking about two different concepts. We're talking about when you stop, you're going to resume those symptoms for which you were taking the drug. 
But in addition, some drugs, not all, but certainly the, the antidepressants, especially Zoloft is known for this, but somewhat, somewhat, I suppose, Prozac, they also have some physical dependence. In other words, your body has adapted, so you're going to have a specific set of withdrawal symptoms. So that's trying to, to explain to you the, the difference between these two issues. So Dr. Schneider, physical dependency and addiction get confused. Is that right? Absolutely. How, how does that work? I don't really understand it. It's because certain drugs like opioids have two different effects. One of them is that they cause physical dependence and the other is they cause addiction. So I'll explain what physical dependence is, okay? Physical dependence means that when you take certain drugs, your body adapts to them. And most of the time, it's a very good thing. For example, many of you have probably taken uh, some opioid Percocet or something and, and had some nausea or you felt sleepy. Those are side effects that you don't want if you're taking them for pain relief. But fortunately, your body adapts so that after you've taken them for a day, a certain dose, you no longer have those symptoms. Now you can increase the dose till you get enough pain relief. So the reason you're taking it is for pain relief, but it turns out you also have these other symptoms. So that's why when you were talking about pain drugs, they have two effects. One is that the, they cause this physical dependence and uh, the solution to it is to taper instead of stopping suddenly. And the other is they're producing the effect you want, which is for the opioids, pain relief, and for the antidepressants, it alleviates the depression. Those are the two differences. So Dr. Schneider, I'm trying to figure out, like, how is it that the general belief about taking opioids is that everyone kind of gets addicted? Well, because we're used to calling everybody dependent, and there's been a confusion about the definition of the word dependent. So... It used to be that if you were dependent on a drug, that, that was a, uh, another way of saying you were addicted. Ah, so dependency was a bad thing, like chemical dependency. Precisely. We used to talk about chemical dependency, and which was another way of saying the person was a drug addict. Mm. The problem is there's a completely different concept that also involves a type of dependence, which is called physical dependence. And that does happen to almost everybody who is on an opioid for pain for more than a few days, okay? And that is a very different thing. But because there's been a confusion for years about the definition of the word dependence, mm -hmm. the, the, the misunderstanding that it means addiction, people think when they hear the word dependence, like chemical dependence, that means addiction. It's interesting that you say this, Dr. Schneider, because you know I, I actually liked the term code chemical dependency, but not from the perspective that you're speaking about. I like the term because it speaks to the fact that drug addicts will turn to chemicals to depend on rather than people, which is much, much healthier. So sort of from a social relationship aspect, I like the word dependency. But what you're saying is that it confused people who might become dependent on any particular medication. It could be a cancer medication or a pain, any, and they're physically dependent, but that's not a bad thing. And they're physically dependent if that is a specific term, meaning that your body adapts so that you have withdrawal symptoms. But we still use the word dependent very in a general way. For example, would you call someone who is a diabetic who needs diabetes medication, otherwise they would die, chemically dependent? Yes, of course. But you see, the, we don't use the word chemical dependence 
to mm-hmm. mean somebody who has to take a medication so they don't die. Right. So we should really need to reframe this as it's good to be dependent on medications that save your life. <laughs> it's, it's good to, we, I think we need to avoid the word dependence because it's become so much used. It's good to rely on medications that can save your life. Yes, yes, yes. So people with diabetes rely on the, and the insulin. That and people take. are depressed rely on something to help their brain to feel better. Exactly. People in pain rely on their pain medications to alleviate their pain and improve their function. And you see, that's all very clear. But when we throw in the word dependence, all of a sudden, well, what are they referring to? Are they saying Mm. addicted? That's why I think we should just basically stop using the word dependent, except when we're talking about a concept called physical dependence, which by definition means that your body has adapted so that when you stop taking that drug or that substance, you have symptoms that are called withdrawal symptoms. You know, I'm going to confuse you more, Dr. Steiner, because I love throwing you off. And, you know, love is dependency. I am physically and emotionally dependent on my spouse. And that dependency has grown over time. And were my spouse to disappear in a heart, you know, overnight, I would go through grief and loss, which really you could see as a symptom of withdrawal from my healthy love dependency, right? You see, there's so many different areas in which one can describe using that term, which is exactly why it's, it's so confusing. And it is specifically confusing when we're talking about treating people with chronic pain. Dr. Schneider, you've done a great job of explaining physical dependency. And I think that really helps us understand that we can, even though it's not the right word, we, are, we can rely, be dependent on medications that are really, really helpful and don't cause us problems. What is addiction by comparison? Addiction is actually a psychological disorder. It's a, a series of behaviors that have taken over the person, uh, and, they, and they consist primarily of three of them. The first is loss of control, which is the same thing as compulsive use. And that means that um, if you start out planning to use only a certain amount of that substance or that behavior, because we can use it for gambling or sex addiction as well, you can't stop. You lost, you've lost control over it. So let me, let me just comment on that. So lost control means uh, I said I'm only going to take the amount that is prescribed, but I find myself taking more and I'm lying about it. I, in other words, the promises I made to myself or others are no longer being kept. Yes, because the most important thing for you is to use that stuff or that do that behavior. As prescribed. And when it comes to a chronic pain patient, one of the things that a, the prescriber has to do is figure out if, if what is going on with this person. Because some people take more than prescribed because they're looking for the high, they're addicted to them, mm-hmm. but others are doing it because they're not actually having too much pain. They're not getting enough pain relief. You see, so that's another issue. But, get, but getting back to the definition of addiction, um, the first element is this loss of control. So you stop by at the bar and on the way home, you're going to have two beers. You end up having a dozen beers and all. Number two is continuation despite significant adverse consequences. So I, I'm taking my opiates and I passed out while drinking. I'm driving on the opiate. I'm, I'm getting arrested. I'm having problems related specifically to the opiate use or opiate abuse, but it doesn't stop me from abusing it. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about alcohol when you were talking about driving, because I've heard you talking about that. And, and in fact, one of my favorite examples is of how, sort of how to figure out if somebody has a problem with alcohol is if they uh, 
go come home from a party late at night where they've had too much to drink and they get stopped by the police and they get a DUI. So the question is, does that tell you they're an addict? Well, you don't know. They may just have made a bad decision because they thought they could drive home safely. The real question, therefore, is, is there a pattern? Right. Do they get in the car after the next party and drive home drunk again? That is the key because it means that their thinking is distorted. And I've heard you lecture on this just wonderfully, Rob. Their thinking is distorted so they can, they can no longer look at the consequences and make good decisions. They'll do it again. So that's the difference between someone who is making a bad decision and doing something once poorly and someone who has a pattern. So when we're talking about addiction, addiction is a pattern and it's, and it's demonstrated by this loss of control. You do more than you intend to. And then secondly, if there is an adverse consequences, that doesn't stop you from doing it again. Uh, so the third one is, which is related to this, is preoccupation or obsession with using, getting the stuff or the behavior, using it, recovering from it, all of that, it takes over your life. So if you have those three elements, and those are all behavioral, you see, that doesn't say anything about withdrawal symptoms and all that. That's about behaviors. Addiction is about behaviors, whether it's to a drug or to a, or to a behavior. Or an activity. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. So Dr. Schneider, recently I think I twisted my foot or something and my ankle swelled up a whole lot and I was really hurting and I couldn't walk and I had to get a crush, all that stuff. And I went to the hospital and they did an x-ray and they said, well, you didn't break it. And I said, oh my God, I'm in so much pain because I was. And they said, well, we're really sorry, but because the x-ray doesn't show a break, we're just going to be able to give you Tylenol. And not being someone who's drug seeking and not seeing someone who really gets addicted to those kinds of meds, I was a little frustrated because I knew I was in a week in for a weekend of not sleeping, misery, maybe a couple of days of being in the kind of pain that would really interfere with my functioning. And I was annoyed because three years ago they would have said, "Here's ten of these and three of those," and that you know. So how would I, as a consumer, how would you expect me as a consumer to manage these kind of situations? Because it seems like we're going in the opposite direction. You asked me two great questions there, which I want to answer separately. First, let me say, I have heard of cases like yours. I have uh, so often, and it is why I am still out there teaching. It is, I think it is terrible that people like you go through what you did. Clearly, you deserve to have uh, effective pain treatment, and opioids are the most effective pain treatment. So let me first answer your question of why are we in this? Why is it that now we've gone so overboard? It's awful. And I'm not trying to encourage easing pain to people who don't need it, but there are people who are in genuine pain. And now the, the, the response is, you're just going to have to deal with it. Well, I'm going to tell you why this happened. It all happened because, uh, in my opinion, of the misunderstanding between what is addiction and what is physical dependence. And we talked about that earlier today, which is great because now you understand that most patients 
on opioids don't become addicted, but most do become physically dependent. If we're talking about how many patients who are on opioids for chronic pain have that loss of control and the adverse consequences and all that, it turns out to be something like less than 5%. And yet you read in the paper all the time that it's like, you know, everybody, 80%. And that's because of this misunderstanding. And therefore they assume that doctors are turning everybody into addicts. Because of the general belief that doctors are turning people into addicts, there is widespread belief these days that the solution to this problem is to get doctors to quit prescribing opioids, which is happening. Yes. And hospitals and emergency rooms in particular. It's terrible. And you know what has happened? You probably didn't know this, Dr. Wise, but the smaller the number of prescriptions that doctors have been writing in the last 10 years, progressively fewer and fewer prescriptions for opioids, the higher the number of drug overdose deaths. Mm. Now that is exactly the opposite of what one would expect if the reason that we have all these drug overdose deaths is because of all the scripts that doctors write. Well, one could assume perhaps that there are people who no longer are able to get their prescriptions and they would like to get their prescriptions and now they're going to places illegally for pain management and they're ending up dying. Well, that's exactly right. What happens is that uh, people used to get drugs on the street. I'm not saying it's a good thing to have drugs on the street. I know it is what it is. But what I'm saying is there are several groups of people that are going to get drugs on the street. All right. One of those obviously are drug addicts who used to buy prescription drugs on the street and now they buy now they're buying the illegal drugs which is a heroin which is now often laced with fentanyl fentanyl is a drug that actually has been used medically for a long time uh, my mom had fentanyl patches when she was dying of cancer 12 years ago i remember this at the very end of her life and they're very effective drugs and they are 100 times as effective as as morphine which is why those doses of the fentanyl patch are in micrograms versus milligrams. And that's why people are dying because they're taking too much. So if you take just a little bit too much fentanyl, you're going to die. Well, so what happens is that addicts who have gone out, why do addicts pay more, have been willing to pay more money on the street for prescription drugs than for illegal drugs? It's because they're safer and the addicts know what they're getting when they buy prescription drugs on the street. So they can get their high and treat their addiction and whatever, but they're not going to overdose. So that's one group of people who are dying. Another one is that it turns out that um, many opioids actually are also good for treating depression and anxiety. No way. Yes way. No, I have not heard much about that. You want to say something a little bit more about that? In fact, one of the scenarios that we see is you have teenagers who have had a, like a sports injury and they put on an opioid for their broken arm or whatever. And um, next thing you find out they're hooked on them, right? So the question is, how did this happen? Well, one scenario is that when they were put on the opioid for their broken arm or whatever, their sports injury or, or your fracture. My very sad ankle. Your sad ankle. <laughs> you feel better. And what people don't realize is they assume that the reason they're feeling better is because their pain has been treated. But what they don't realize is that for some people, simultaneously and unrelated, their anxiety and depression are being treated, which they've had, but has never really been looked into. So now what happens is when the ankle feels is better or the, you know, the arm is healed, they don't want to stop because when they stop, they feel bad again. 
Well, but withdrawal also makes you feel bad, right? I mean, I know that stopping too quickly or not being drawn off the med properly will also make you feel. That's a completely different, that's true, but it's a completely different issue because normally if you've only had the drug for a week or two, you're not going to become physically dependent and you have to be on a reasonably high dose on a couple of Percocet, you're not going to become physically dependent. So that's not likely to be the reason. And the second thing is, if someone has been on opioids for a while and now like this, they've been taking it for their bum knee and now they've had a knee replacement, they, the answer is that or the doctors know that they should be tapered off the drug, not just stop. So the real issue, if you're talking about a teenager who's been on given, you know, for a sprained ankle or broken bone, and now they, when they stop it, they don't feel well, it's not because of physical withdrawal. But what it can be is because even though whatever the problem has, is that is, has healed, they're now back to their depression and anxiety and they know they felt a lot better before. So they will tell their doctor that they still have pain. Because emotionally they do. Yes. So that what we're coming to understand now is there's a lot of reasons why people, what causes pain. And one of it is is a broken arm or something very obvious. And then you also can have nerve-related pain like you have with diabetic neuropathy or something. But there's also emotional pain. And that actually is a very significant cause of pain. People who have had childhood trauma. I want to tell a personal story, if I may. I, 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 you know, Dr. Schneider, I have no secrets and I have a fair amount of mental illness in my family. And so it's not surprising that I take antidepressants and other medications. And I'm very grateful, by the way, because I get to have a life. By the way, I think mental illness, my friends, just those of you listening, is not a ticket to becoming a creative genius. Uh, mental illness is a ticket to nowhere. And you want to be as healthy as you possibly can be and as creative as you can be. And I don't care what makes you or helps you get there as long as it's healthy and supported and you don't do it alone. So in any case, I will say that I've been on meds, but not that long ago, I, someone, I don't know, it was Percocet. I was given some pain medication and it wasn't even one of those. It was like a secondary one that, I don't know, a minor pain medication. And you know what? I started feeling great. I started feeling better than I'd been feeling it. And I called my psychiatrist and I said, you know what? It seems really interesting. I'm taking, you know, the, all these antidepressants. Well, I'm feeling okay, but I took these pain meds and I started feeling great. Can I keep taking them? And she said, no, because you will develop tolerance to them. Medications for psychiatry don't have tolerance like Prozac. You don't need to take 20 and then 40 and then 60 and then 80. But if you take these meds, you will have to keep raising the dose in order to get the same effect. Can you explain tolerance? I'm so glad you asked that question because that was the second subject I wanted to talk about. And that is that there is um, a misunderstanding as which was exactly what your psychiatrist did was misunderstand the concept of tolerance to the pain relief. The definition of tolerance is you need more to get the same effect. So she was saying that you would need more, you know, more to whatever. In two weeks, I would not feel as good and I need to take more. And then two weeks after that, I need to take more and et cetera. And there have not been studies on exactly if one develops tolerance to the uh, emotional relief that one gets from opioids. But what we do know is that, first of all, again, the tolerance means you need more to get the same effect. So what I want to do is talk to you about exactly about this point that different effects of opioids, some of them have tolerance developing and others don't. For example, if you start out, on a, we're starting you on a low dose of pain relief, doesn't give you enough pain relief, but you, we started you on a low dose because like you were nauseated from the first pill. 
By your third pill, you're not nauseated. So now we can double your dose, give you better pain relief, okay? So what does this tell you? We are, you have developed, your body has developed tolerance to the nauseating effect. Your body develops tolerance to the sedating effect. That's why people can function very well on, on doses that are high enough that if you give that dose to someone who hasn't been on an opioid, they would die because you develop tolerance to the sedation and the respiratory depression. These are, these are good things. But it is therefore assumed that people develop tolerance to every effect of opioid. Right. To the pain part too. Right. Yes. So let me go back to something that everybody agrees with, which is if you are on an opioid and you get constipation, that's not going to go away. No, that's an effect. A side effect. That particular one doesn't go away. That side effect doesn't go away. You have to keep taking, you know, stuff. Something. Something. So what you have to understand that this is telling you is some side effects people develop tolerance to, meaning you have to get more to get the same effect, and others you don't develop. The same dose will continue to give you that constipation. It turns out that there is increasing evidence, and I do have, I'm not the only one who believes this, anybody that has treated chronic pain patients for a long time knows that you can have a lot of patients that have been on the same dose, whether it's low or high, for some kind of pain for years. And it has effectively continued to manage their pain without raising the dose. Now, let me tell you a personal story. And I, it's not about opioids, but it's about you know how, how pain can, isn't always the same. So I have osteoarthritis. So I've had a couple of joint replaced. I have back pain, surgery and everything. All right. As I've gotten older, I've started to have more pain in those joints. And therefore, if I were on an opioid, which I'm not, for that pain, I would need to increase the dose because my disease is getting worse. So that doesn't mean that I've developed tolerance to the pain relief because of the disease process. So there's a, a lot of confusion. So let me say this to you, Dr. Schneider. We've talked for 35 minutes and I feel like I, and I'm somewhat of an expert in some of these things, and I feel like I've barely had an introduction. It's true. <laughs> so tell me how the consumer, how anyone listening to this, anyone who loves someone who takes pain meds, anyone who's trying to figure out if they have a problem versus of any kind, they're not taking enough, they're taking too little. Are there websites or places or are there places that are really useful, non-prejudice information where people can learn stuff about all this? That's difficult because, for example, my website, jenniferschneider.com, has a zillion articles, everything that I've written on this. So that's great. That would be one place. But some people may have problems understanding what's in some of the articles. Although the one that um, you had mentioned, Rob, five most misunderstood terms in, in pain medicine, that's on my website. Great. So folks, I want you to hear this. Dr. Schneider is uh, truly an amazing person. I want to say this to you also, Jennifer. You know, you've been an inspiration to me. When I first met you and I asked you if you could help me write, and you said to me, well, I've written a few books and my dad wrote I think you said 26? Oh, yes, <laughs> at least. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, that, that that's just not right. Well, being on book number 11 now, I'm thinking that you and I share a common disease that I think I've inherited from your dad. So, And that's a gift because we see things and we grab onto them and we want to share them and help people. And jenniferschneider.com, that's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R.com. Is that right? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Schneider. We will be in touch. We'll talk about more stuff. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. We're always glad you're here. Bye, Jennifer. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. 
If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.